It is January 27th, 2023, and welcome to episode 174 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. I'm your once-a-week host, Jamil Jaffer, founder and executive director of NSI at George Mason University's Anton Scalia Law School. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend and former boss, Les Munson, the former staff director of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and a senior fellow at NSI, and also by the amazing but not a TV superhero, Jessica Jones, NSI's deputy executive director. Now, on December 7th, 2022, the Peruvian Congress removed President Pedro Castillo and replaced him with Vice President Dina Bolarte. This move came after Castillo, who was in the middle of multiple corruption investigations and was on the verge of being impeached, tried unsuccessfully to dissolve Congress and stage a so-called bloodless coup. Of course, since then, the outcome has been hardly bloodless, with dozens of people, about 40 to 60, being killed and nearly 1,000 injured in clashes between the Peruvian government, forces, and protesters, creating the worst outbreak of violence in more than two decades. The violence has been worse in the South, where Castillo's base amongst Peru's impoverished indigenous population is strong. At least one major poll suggests that even a majority of the country supports the protests. Now, two-thirds of the population lives outside of Lima and feels excluded by the political elites and feel like they've been made capitalist fodder by the tourism industry. When they heard Castillo had been removed, they took to the streets, and since then, nearly half of Peru's provinces haven't seen protests or blockades. For his part in the attempted coup, Castillo was arrested and detained for up to 18 months before he was to be tried on rebellion charges. Now, Peru is now a stranger to rapid and major political change, with the newly installed Belote being Peru's sixth president in just five years. The U.S. has taken a strong stand in favor of President Belarte and against Castillo's attempted coup. That being said, the hard question for us to figure out today is, what, if anything more, should the U.S. be doing Les, what do you think? Well, Jamil, I think uh, it's it's difficult for the U.S. to act in in the very short term in Peru. This is a this is a real deep and profound political crisis in that country, following on a series of other deep and profound political crises in Peru. Uh, Peru's had a, a really up and down roller coaster of of politics. You know, they had a Marxist insurgency for decades that was a real problem there. Uh, so we we need to be. Uh, we need to be very smart. We need to be very careful. We need to be very cautious and we need to uh, do everything we can to not make the situation worse. So I'm, I'm not sure there's like a something we, sh- we could do this afternoon that will make things better in Peru. We things that happen in Peru do matter to the United States. Uh, they're in the Western Hemisphere. They're a big country. Uh, other actors, other global actors like China and Russia have tried to exploit chaos in Peru in the past. We need to be present there to kind of box out these other nefarious forces. One thing I think we can do, but this is much more of a long-term solution and not necessarily going to help immediately, is be smarter about security assistance, domestic security assistance for places like Peru. All too often, police forces in some countries are more uh, more negative uh, than positive. They're, they do more to prey on the local population than to help the local population. We, we need to kind of get out of our comfort zone on police assistance in certain places and find a way to be very constructive for, for a country like Peru in this. Because I think if there was a professionalization on the police side, on the domestic security side, we would see that this crisis was not quite as bad. There'd be fewer deaths, there'd be fewer injuries. Right now, it looks like the, the situation in Peru is bad and getting worse. 
Uh, and I think if if we had a better way to deal with security assistance of that kind, we, we could mitigate a lot of uh, a lot of the bad parts of a crisis like this. And I think to Les's point of not having an immediate solution, you know, you look to the numerous leaders, whether it's presidential level or congressional in Peru and the levels of corruption, you know, the investigations, that's, you know, the seed of many of these problems in, in the turnover. And that's not something that's going to be solved overnight with U.S. policy or U.S. support of, you know, when you have every, you know, every level of public institution um, seeing some level of corruption, uh, which, you know, exploits, you know, whether it's socioeconomic, racial tension, right, um, differences uh, in every industry, whether it's education, healthcare, um, to less point, security, uh, that's not something that's going to change overnight. Um, and that seems to be a seed of a lot of, of the instability in the country. Yeah, but, but the real problem here isn't just this, the, the, the impoverished uh, nature and the, and the gap between the haves and the have-nots. And we're seeing uh, protests against democratic, uh, you know, uh, processes across the, across the entire South American continent. We're seeing this in Brazil. Yes, for different reasons, misinformation and the like. We've seen protests in Colombia. I mean, we, the, democracy is under pressure in the entire region. And this idea that we can't fix it tomorrow and that we ought to sort of play off a little bit, I agree less. Yes, security assistance is important and getting it right is important and making the police more professional so they don't kill a bunch of protesters is really critical. But the U.S. has got to get much more actively involved in our own backyard. And I think half the problem here, to be totally honest with you, is the American people could care less. They, all they care about in Peru is Machu Picchu, whether they can go visit it. They don't really care about what's happening in our own hemisphere, much less what's happening in other places around the globe. And that's fundamentally the problem. American politicians have got to explain to the American people why Peru matters, why South America matters, and why the rest of the globe matters, and how that we can't just simply focus at home and ignore the rest of the world without be, putting ourselves in significant peril. This is where Jamil calls me Pollyanna. Uh, Polly, that's the term, right? That's that's it? Yeah, ne- less is nodding. Um, I would like to point out, though, Castillo probably thought he would be a dic- sitting dictator right now. And within hours of announcing, of beginning this, his own security forces detained him, right? So you actually have, you know, his political um, allies say, nope, we are not supporting this. We're going to stick to democratic values. So, so in fact, it is, to me, a... a a sh- you know, a win for democracy that, that it was an unsuccessful coup. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. It was a win for win for democracy. The problem, though, is now you've got thousands of people injured, you know, dozens and dozens dead. That's the problem in and of itself. And that's putting pressure because half the country thinks he was right, Jess. That's that's what I think is the fundamental problem is that more than more than 50 percent of people in Peru, particularly those who have been downtrodden, think he was right to stage the coup. Less. Yeah. I mean, the 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 Peruvian political crisis is is real. There are deep seated divisions in the country. There's no doubt about that. Democracy is frustrating. It's ugly. It's messy. People get upset by it. But at the end of the day, it's the best way to work out those differences and try to find the right path forward for a country. We need we need to embrace democracy in all of its ugliness. It can be tough, but we can also as as kind of the uh, you know, the, the country in the region that has the ability to offer assistance and some wisdom. We do need to find a way to be smarter and, and a little more acutely relevant for a country like Peru. And I think that means we need we need to kind of get out of our, as I said, get out of our comfort zone on security assistance, be willing to go into a place where things are a little bit sideways, deal with some folks who are maybe not perfect citizens and not angels and not going straight to heaven when they pass away, and try to find a way to make them do their job better. And that's that's on Congress, that's on the executive, That's but that's a, a problem for us long range. We, we do need to start to address that. All right, well, that's a wrap. Thanks to Brooke Agacon and Rachel Domino from NSI and Claude James for the help producing today's episode. 
Join us again on Monday for the next episode of Fault Lines. And don't forget, Fault Lines is the podcast that gets you smart fast on the issue shaking by American National Security. So if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. And follow at Mason Natsik on Twitter so more people can get in the Fault Lines crew and get into the NSI mix. Have a great afternoon.